0: This episode of Songwriter Stories is sponsored by Piano Wars. Piano Wars offers unique, high-energy entertainment featuring dueling pianos, sing-along, audience participation, and dance music. Find out more at PianoWars.com.
1: This is David Scott, and you're listening to Songwriter Stories with Dave Caruso.
0: Musically speaking, songwriter David Scott of the Pearl Fishers is well versed and fluent in the romantic languages of the classic composers like Bacharach, Wilson, McCartney, and McAloon. Let's listen.
2: It's a beautiful day so get out of bed. You've got to get up while you can. A modern dreams or wishes, you've gotta just let them go. Thank mm-hmm.
0: David Scott, welcome to Songwriter Stories.
1: Hi, David. It's nice to be here.
0: All right. I watched a couple videos with you last night um, doing interviews with other people, and uh, I think I got your accent down.
1: <laughs> okay, that's good.
0: I thought to myself, you know, all those years of watching Scotty, which is a fake accent on Star Trek.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That prepared me for this moment.
1: The dilithium crystals want to take it, gotten?
0: Exactly. I'd like to start out by asking you about your music education and your job at the University of the West of Scotland.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm a self-taught musician, really. Well, in in some ways I am. When I I was a kid, uh, I learned how to play the trumpet. And I did that at school. That was something I did from probably... Uh, late primary school through to uh, late secondary school and I had some you know music tuition there uh, but I actually didn't even do a, a high school music qualification until my very last year and I, I did a very basic thing. Uh, most of my training uh, has been in art uh, you know I, I did a two-year course in graphics and, and then I went to the Glasgow School of Art uh, in 1982 uh, and no, sorry, nineteen eighty four, and then I got a record deal almost immediately after joining the art school. So most of my music education has just been writing songs and listening and listening very, very carefully. Uh, I I teach on a music course at university, Uh, it's a commercial music uh, course, so so it's, you know, there's a bit of performance in there, a bit of songwriting, uh, but it's very industry focused as well, Uh, and then I teach on uh, the master's degree in in songwriting, Uh, and the sort of stuff, the theory as it were that underpins that, that course is much more akin to art school. Uh, uh, you know, in creative practice theory than it is to music theory. And people, people listen to my mu- music and I think they think I'm quite schooled, but but not really.
0: Well, especially when you realize that if you listen to your l- latest album, you've done the arrangements. So you're, you're arranging for strings and horns, right?
1: Yeah, one of the first records that I heard that really sort of uh, knocked me out was my dad's copy of uh, Burt Bacharach's Portrait in Music. Uh, and and which is a, you know compilation. I, I now own about three vinyl copies of it. <laughs> I did, every time I see, it, I buy it because I think I, I maybe need to give that to somebody. <laughs> and it was a, it was a compilation of of his own arrangements of his own songs. You know, so you would get uh, you know South American getaway, and and you know part of it would be a string quartet, and then you would get one song line and all that kind of stuff. And the richness of it was just extraordinary. Uh, and I moved from that to Pet Sounds. Uh, and probably not long after that, I uh, picked up on a, a compilation of Scott Walker music called Fire Escape in the Sky, mm-hmm. which came in the early 80s. And the string arrangements of particularly of Wally Stott, uh, who, who later became Angela Morley, a film arranger. Those kind of things really kind of impacted on me amazingly. Uh, so you reach a, a sort of point in your life where you think I want to do something that, that is where I want to be you know you don't want to spend your time making music that doesn't kind of do it for you uh, so if I want to have you know Wally Stotch style string arrangements I either have to get somebody to do it or I could just learn to do it myself Uh, and that's what I've tried to do and and, you know since uh, the record uh, The Strange Underworld of the Tall Poppies I've arranged strings and horns on, on all of our records and it's part of the process that I love the best.
0: What do you do as a less formally schooled musician to get those, and you use real strings, as I, as I read, yeah. starting in that record, how do you get it from your head to the musicians? And I know there are lots of ways to do it, but I want to know what your way is.
1: Well, I write it out. So, so I, I taught myself how to write the dots. I mean, I knew how to read, you know, because you know, when you play trumpet or whatever, you know, you, you know how to read a, a, a line of music. And so it was... Pretty kind of simple to say, okay, well, and and the first time I ever did it, I got a big score pad and, you know, actually wrote it out as a score. So the second violin was being written right under the first and the viola, blah, blah, blah. And doing it that way, visualizing it, it teaches you quite a lot about the discipline of it. Uh, And I'm sure that the the string parts that I give to string players now are are kind of horribly naively (laughs) transcribed, (laughs) but the parts are good. And, and, you know, there's a lot of uh, heart and soul and, and, and feeling in the parts. And I, and I understand what, you know, what a viola might do.
0: What the roles are of those individual instruments. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: and also also what, they, what these instruments might do in terms of uh, adding to the melody narrative you know so there's a thing on the new record last track another sunflower and some of those the swap overs from violin two to viola and some of the melody lines that they're given within the arrangement are some of my favorite things in the song you know because they, 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 they give you that sort of visceral emotional feeling in music So that's it. I, I started doing, as I said, I, I used to give the musicians the stuff written by hand. And now it's easier just to kind of do it in logic and, mm-hmm. and print it for them in a bit neater. But essentially, it's the same process for me. And I'm hearing string arrangements right from the start when I'm writing songs. You know, that, that's, I, I'm kind of hearing them that early.
0: It's very obvious to me that that they're uh, cooked in, they're baked in. It's not, nothing's tacked on with you, including structure. Everything about the song is um, is built up from the bottom. Um, we're going to talk about those things in more detail when we get to each song. Spotify's music description for you for the Pearl Fishers says that you're the only constant member.
1: That's not true.
0: Not true. Okay
1: constant members are jim gash jamie gash and myself and i mean he 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 didn't play on the second record but he's been there from the very start actually the band it, it doesn't function like a band in the way that you would imagine other bands In that it's not four or five of us in the room you know punching ideas around and, and you know falling out and you know all that kind of stuff in a sense i'm kind of conceiving music and then uh bringing it in and and, and experimenting with fantastic musicians uh, but certainly for example uh, somebody like Gabrielle Tellerman who's been around in one shape or form since the second album uh, he's, he's an important part of the sound as well so you know there's there's a lot of, of constants in that band
0: okay well let's see if we have another correction uh, Spotify's description describes the band as a glorious soft pop band mixing acoustic bass music with subtle orchestral flourishes rather like a Glasgow-based prefab sprout with a major Brian Wilson fixation. What do you think of that characterization?
1: That, that seems not too far away. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 certainly, I mean, I would say that, you know, a lot of people who, who write about my music uh, do tend to mention Brian Wilson and, you know, all that kind of, you know, that kind of 60s, kind of Jimmy Webb and all that, but actually I, Came up as a writer in the 1980s My first record deal was 1984 and, and around about me Were people who have had a lasting Influence on me, among them uh, Green Gartside From Scritti Politi A mm-hmm. uh, guy called Michael Head uh, Who wrote uh, songs with the, f- the Pale Fountains and then uh, Shaq, uh, but a, you know, Really king among them all For me is Paddy McAloon uh, t- To me, Paddy is, is As good as the good guys
0: of Prefabs Brown.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so like Paddy's songs to me, are uh, his best songs are as good as McCartney, are as good as, you know, all of these people. So, you know, as a young writer, you look around you, and you, I think you're more inclined as a young writer to look at your direct contemporaries. Mm-hmm. And Paddy McAloon was a direct contemporary back in the 1980s. I mean, I sat in the office in, uh, in CBS Records, in probably nineteen eighty six or seven or whenever and in the next room he was playing Muff Winwood, Hey Manhattan, uh and Nightingales, you're right? And and at that point you're kinda of thinking, Oh my god, what, why am I even bothering <laughs> trying to make music, you know? So so yeah, I think that's a that's a that's a really, really happy comparison for me because I guess what I'm trying to do is the same thing that Paddy's trying to do, which is to write very spiritual, heartful music that has a has a sophisticated thing about it.
2: Let me sit you down, Dom. Something to say. I'd like to get it set before I go green. I'll try to keep it simple. I've no axe to grind, just a lifetime and a day with you on my mind.
0: Recently I interviewed Bill Demain on this show, and he said great things about you, and uh, he was the reason I asked you on the show, and thank you for agreeing to be on it. He told the story of how he gave you a somewhat personal and autobiographical lyric more than 10 years ago called, Once I Lived in London, and he asked you to write the music for it. You did, and you sent Bill your demo sometime later, and he recorded the finished song with Swan Dive in 2009. Now, 10 years after that release, you've got your latest album, Love and Other Hopeless Things, and it has your own version of the song, and it's a beautiful recording, because it's a huge favorite of mine. And because I want to hear about it from the music writing perspective, I have several questions for you. First, I want to say that uh, Bill Demain complimented you and said that you are a Yoda of melody. (laughs) And I said, well, well, aren't you glad he didn't call you the Chewbacca of melody? Because (laughs) it wouldn't be quite as nice. No. (laughs) Um, This is a beautiful first person narrative about trying to live the dream of a songwriter in a magical and foreign place. Um, Bill really did live in London for a short time, but you could relate to the lyric too, he said. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, well, well, one of the reasons that the thing you know vibrated with me in the first place was because I, I more or less lived in London for a while too. I, I never had a house there, uh, but I spent so much time, you know, weeks on, on end in recording studios and living in hotels and all the rest of it. And it, the lyric of it really did strike a chord because that 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 sense of being alone and and young. Uh, in a city like London, and being simultaneously uh, lonely and excited by it, uh, was was something that really did resonate. And uh, you know, so uh, there were a couple of particular memories that that, that it brought forward because actually I also uh, contributed some lyrics to the song as well, and and some of the the, the very specific things. Uh, there's a there's a line in it that goes winding home through the streets of London mm-hmm. just. Uh, I played Spandau, Ballet's True, Joby Mia's The Plastic People too, and, and that line about winding home is is about me uh, on my own in Oxford Street uh, coming out of uh, Air Studios where I did some work and walking down to uh, Chinatown and uh, and going to this restaurant called Kowloon. Uh, and just as I was arriving, they would be, you know, they would be pulling the lights down and putting the little hats on and starting playing cards, you know. Uh, and that kind of atmosphere, for, from a, a boy that grew up in a small town like Falkirk, uh, just being completely immersed in that beautiful and, and, and sort of scary uh, atmosphere, w- wound its way into the atmosphere of the song, I think.
2: Alone I walk the ancient streets, looking for a magic key. Winding home through the dusk of London, just me I sang Spandau, Valley's true show beam yes the plastic people do I sang you near me close my eyes and get believing close my eyes
1: The initial kind of inspiration of it was looking at Bill's uh, lyric and thinking, you know, that that's me, (laughs) and that's that's what set me on that track with that song.
0: There are things about what you did with the music that made me wonder if you had changed anything in the lyric, because some people lyrics are sacred and you can't touch them, and vice versa. If the music was written first, the lyricist isn't allowed to touch the music. But there's certain things here, like the fact that you add the word now on some choruses um uh, close your eyes and stop and keep believing now you use the word now sometimes but not all the time and the fact that you do the just me in the previous verse the words go longer so you say um in the sound of big ben and yeah next time it's just me so it's shorter which also makes the just me lonelier it makes it stand out did you say that you did that just me you that was you
1: that's how I remember it. Bill might remember it differently. I think just me was just me. <laughs> yeah. uh, one, i tell you one of the things that I really like about working with Bill Demain, uh, and we've, we've written a, a, a couple of songs together. There's another one that we wrote called Sylvia Deer, which, which I did with Amy Allison on our Turn Like the World Does record. And he presents lyrics that are not quite fully structured yet at that stage. So it leaves a bit of room uh, for somebody who's who's coming in and and actually that's very freeing because you think, okay well that means that there's enough room here for me to take this in a couple of potential uh, directions musically uh, because it 's not set in stone it's not like you know hard a b a b rhyming uh, or or whatever and there's and there's tons of images that you can kind of sort through so that I really like that. And it also means that, that structurally you can be creative, you know, and, and, and think, well, hang on a second, we, we, we don't need to always, you know, uh, Xerox the line length from verse 1 to 2 to two th- Yes. Which, and, and so you're relying on structure uh, in a more universal sense, uh, you know, the, the, the big pillars that are holding the song up, and then you can play with it in, 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 inside that, which is, which is something which is a, actually a feature of my songwriting.
0: Well, Just Me comes across very poignantly. It calls attention to itself. It's nice. Thank you. The opening guitar parts on Swan Dive's version and your version are similar. They're, they're using the same chords, and they're both on acoustic guitar, but they're in different keys. His is in G and yours is in A. And the difference in the song key and the layout of the guitar, is that what accounts for why you played it differently?
1: No, I think I probably originally, when I did the demo of it, I did it in, uh, in G. okay. I mean, I've recorded the song maybe three times <laughs> to, get, to get the right version of it. Uh, and the, the original demo that I sent to Bill uh, was, I, I'd, yeah, honestly, Dave, I'd need to go back, but I'm pretty sure it was in that key. And then I honestly can't remember why I put it up. Uh, I think maybe I just wanted to, i wanted a, a, a brightness about it for my voice. No way. Um, although I can sing it nice and G, I think. The, the main thing is you're always trying to find the right key For the singer, that's for sure mm-hmm. uh, And Bill really suits that, that key where it is And I just think I suit the, 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 the Slightly higher
0: key I hear that, especially on the last line of The Bridge Which we're going to talk about
2: Once I lived in London Right near Vauxhall Bridge. In a room on a corner, the size of a fridge. A bed, a desk, a window, and a fog across the tents. Drinking English tea each morning in the sound of big bands i went busking every day tried to find some rich to play cold and nervous closed my eyes and kept believing closed my eyes and kept believing
0: so in the melody and the very very first thing that struck me about this song after the intro was that you sing once I lived in London, right near the Vauxhall Bridge. A bridge is on a three major chord, which is a seven chord, and three is the three chord is normally a minor in diatonic terms. So it's a nice change chord, but, it, but you'd expect it to be right near the Vauxhall Bridge. That's the note that most average writers would go to. And you went to the seventh. And I thought that was really, really cool.
1: Yeah. And, and I think that's part of the thing about writing melodies is, is that there is a tendency, I think, among uh, some songwriters, and I, I work with a lot of young song, songwriters, and sometimes this is something I, I notice a lot, to cling on to the chord, you know, for dear life. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes a melody that you hear, you know, more inexperienced writer writing, is almost a description of the chord sequence, you know
0: change the chord to the melody
1: yeah rather than something that is existing on its own so so I do when I write I do write at the piano or on the guitar but v- quite often I will step away from the instrument and just think about the melody uh, and it's something I, I you know particularly when it comes to writing a c-section in a song for example I'll often just think okay rather than thinking where, where should the chords go here i'll I'll say okay let's Let's let the melody lead it, and the other thing, of course, is that the melody should be uh, supporting and describing concept. Uh, just, just you know, we we, we have a tendency in, in popular music uh, studies even just to, to to analyze lyrics only, but actually, melody is, is a big holder of concept and and, and narrative and, and and you know impression as as it were. So sometimes in a thing like that, I maybe. And it's a long time since I wrote the song, but there's maybe a, a, an idea there to to try and describe the loneliness because that little note is left out in its own. It's not quite in the chord. Yeah. Uh, and it's well, certainly not in the in the in the basic triad. It's, it's sitting outside that. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, you know, people don't listen to music and go, "Oh my God, that's really interesting." That little lonely note sits outside the triad. <laughs> no, no, nobody thinks that. Okay, maybe you and I do. But there is a, there's a kind of cumulative effect of that that people get, I think.
0: I agree. You know, it's an overall emotional thing. They, 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 they hear it emotionally.
1: Yeah, I, I think so.
0: Now, the beats that you change the guitar chords on in the, in the second half of the verse, you say.
2: In a room, on a corner, the size of a friend. On the word "ner,"
0: you hit the chord change, and I think that's really interesting too, because you could have changed more
2: easily on the onbeat.
1: Well, if you listen to Once I Live in London, the fundament of it is the ding,
2: ding, 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 ding,
1: ding, 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 that kind of guitar pick thing at the start of it. That's already setting out the push. So it's all pushed. So one, two, three, four, push, push, push. push, push. Okay. So that in itself sets the kind of the, the ground for what the song. And I think quite naturally, once that rhythm is kind of established, the melody feels quite natural to, to, to be pushy all the way through it. It doesn't last too a winter, a spring and a summer, all of that's pushed, you know, <laughs> and it's kind of part of the ground that's set out in the song from, 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 the, from the start, really.
0: Awesome. When you received the chorus uh, from Bill, did Close Your Eyes and Keep Believing" consist of a single line or did he have the multiple lines? Did the multiple lines spring from what you wrote in the music? I'd
1: need to go back and have a look at the original sheet he sent. Something like that, and it was just one single line, but to me, that was obviously one that if Bill and I were sitting in the same room, I would have been jumping all over that, okay? Gotcha. You know, because it's something that bears repetition. Mm -hmm. Close your eyes and keep believing, keep believing, keep believing. You know what I mean? The repetition is, is deliberate and conceptual.
0: Click your heels three times, no place like home.
1: Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Absolutely. So there is that thing about about choruses and, and and repeated things. There is an an incantatory thing about it, and and sometimes what you know when you think about the the original function of the chorus, uh, you know the group of people on stage that would turn to the audience and tell them what is actually going on in this play. Sometimes the chorus is that point where you can see, look, the central image of this song is is a young person standing on a street in London, lonely, uh, so frightened that their eyes are closed but there's this belief and strength about it and and it's repeated and repeated and repeated. So so it's about really, really uh, focusing on that conceptual kind of message.
0: Well, I teach uh, songwriting for enrichment courses and we talk about familiarity and surprise. The, The repetition creates familiarity, but you do surprise because each of the lines is sung differently. So you've got close your eyes and keep believing Three times, but each time the melody changes, and it's really beautiful. I oh, thank you.
2: Close my eyes and kept believing. Close my eyes and kept believing. Close my eyes and kept believing.
0: At the end, He's got this naive, I believed in the stories, and you accentuate that really well with the music. So naive, believed, and stories are internal rhyming. Yeah. Naive, I believed in the stories. It's climbing during that. So you really yeah. set that out with the music. It's beautiful.
2: Naive, I believe the stories in the music rise.
0: Same thing with the 80s postcard. Was the 80s postcard repeated? You probably don't remember.
1: Like, I think that bit is my lyric. I tell you why, why and I'm not being a sort of Paul McCartney here, so, uh, I, I wrote that you know, 40% me, 60% John. Uh,
2: right. <laughs> I'm,
1: just, I'm just saying that, that that was a very specific thing because I remember writing postcards home from, from London when I first went and, and I would never write a postcard now, even 10 years ago when we wrote that mm-hmm. song the thought of writing a postcard. What? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Who writes postcards? But that, so it was partly about expressing the time frame as well. You know, yep, so, yep. so written to you on an 80s postcard and the, and the sense of the postcard being faded and burned. And so it's, you know, it, it, that was more about setting that's like a more of a movie kind of device where you just change the scene and all of a sudden that, that it's, it's, you know, it's lit differently, and, and it's, it's seen something different about the same thing.
0: What I found uh, really interesting about the way that ends, you know, you go up an active, and you sing it very plaintively, and it's triumphant, written to you on an 80s book card, and then you do the trumpets, which are just perfect. I was thinking this morning that it reminds me of the setup to this solo in Nowhere Man, the chords are a little different because they do use a suspended fourth and you're using a four over five type thing, maybe. But on an yeah. 80s postcard, la, 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 you know what I mean? Almost like oh, the, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. it
0: really fits. It's not anywhere near the same song.
2: It doesn't last A winter, a spring, and a summer A turn of the tide and it's over London's crystallized On an 80's postcard Faded and burned On an 80's postcard Written to you On an 80's postcard
1: Well, that's a great that's a great reference because i do i, I love that that moment in, in that song and the record' is, it's a beautiful thing in the gorgeous guitar solo and certainly that one of the things was again you know that there is always that thing in my music where, where i'm trying to kind of say look there's there's light and a lot of people can say Terrell music is very optimistic, and it is, but there's, 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 a, a, there's dark corners in it too. And, and so that song, I think, is, is kind of saying that, but it's also saying, look, there's morning after that, and you get that big trumpet fanfare, and it's, it's a good moment, you know.
0: Absolutely. Why did you wait so long to record your own version? I know you recorded it, <laughs> but, but to release it on an album.
1: I was just waiting for the right moment, and and I tell you, you know, on all of my records, there's always one or two that I've been hanging about for two or three albums, and I, and I'm just my friend Ricky Ross, a uh, fantastic songwriter, always says there's 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 a there's a home for every song, and and sometimes you just need to wait a couple of albums for the right time, and this definitely was. It's one of my favourite songs, and and I just felt this was the the time for it. Yeah,
0: it's one of my favourites of yours too.
1: Oh, thank you so much I do love that song It's it's nice to get some love For Once I Lived in London
0: <laughs> Well Love and Other Hopeless Things Came on around April Could Be a Street Could Be a Saint Is another great one On that album
2: You made goodbye to the day you couldn't make it pay while all you were rang true It took those words and threw them back at you Send me a line from the songs you love to play Something about those stars that burned the night away And freeway or the luminescent color she paints. People people beautiful, people, are beautiful. people are beautiful,
1: so beautiful. Thank you. You know, my wife Margaret always says you need to be careful what you say around you because you'll jump in it and it'll be a song tale. <laughs> so, so the, somebody, we were having a, a conversation that, you know, me and a couple of pals, and uh, somebody came up with somebody's name, it was like Barnaby or something like that. And I said, What was that? Could, could be a street, could be a saint, you know, Barnaby Street or St. Barnaby, something like that. So that, to me, is there's a there's a concept right there and then, which is okay. So if that was a songwriting exercise, what what would it be about? And and the song could be a street, could be a saint, is about transformation, about the things that happen in everyday life that just flip your whole experience round. Uh, there's some moments in there where, where I'm describing real things. You know, it's uh, out on the streets. The Christmas trees are sparking up. It's late September out on Socky Hall, that's Socky Hall Street in Glasgow. And the reason it's September, not November, is because Christmas starts so early in Glasgow. <laughs> uh, and, and you know, they're selling candy floss and, and, and cartoon wheels for pennies while your mama sings the fairy tale and dances through them all. That's my mum or my aunt Veronica uh, dancing to the Pogues fairy tale of New York in, in the shops uh, at Christmas. So, so you're bringing in t- tiny things from your own life but the song itself is about transformation and the way that, 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 that things come up. And some of the music in it, you know, that, that second verse where the, the double-picking guitar comes in, it's meant to, to describe that kind of exuberance and, and, and change and, and positivity.
0: I like the fact that the title sounds like a title somebody should have thought of a long time ago. Like You immediately know what, it, what you were thinking when you wrote it down but you were the first one to put in a song. So that's really beautiful.
1: If you look at the the Love and Other Hopeless Things album track listing, it'll tell you one thing about my songwriting, and that is that I'm, I love a title. Uh, and I think that, that, you know, as a writer, it's easy just to kind of, you know, write standard song titles. And that's good. Maybe, you know, maybe maybe I would have sold more records had, had I written, uh, you know, You Left Me Baby. But I <laughs> love a title that makes you kind of go, I wonder what that is, I wonder what that's about, you know, yep. that's an interesting concept for, for a song. What does that mean, you know, yep. and, and so you're immediately in a, in a conversation with the listener before they've even heard the song.
0: There's a cohesive cover art design to your albums and your EPs and your singles. Um, they tend to have a lot of white space, more than most albums, and um, sometimes a lot, a lot of white space. And uh, lots of splashes of color. And now that I know that you uh, studied art, I can see that that was not an accident. You you were involved in that?
1: Well, the covers are, are the work of Stephan Castle, okay. uh, who is one of the two guys who run Marina uh, Records. And Stefan is a a fantastic uh, designer, somebody with, with such a, a, a cool... Uh, uh, signature style as a designer part of that signature style can be white space and funny enough if, if when he hears this he'll laugh because uh, i said to him when we got to the, the this this record which is going to be the last record ever on marina records they're they're, they're, they're not doing it anymore i said i want lots of white space like like your classic <laughs> designs. so it's got that 60s thing uh and and yeah, and he has used some of my uh, drawings and, and, and some of the Up With the Larks, for example. Is yes. A, you know, one example of it. But, but that is Stefan's aesthetic and his vision very, very strongly. And the records have massively benefited from that.
0: Christmas and snow appear in more songs than just on your Christmas album. Uh, were you setting yourself up for like a Brian Setzer style Christmas time tour? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you could tour your summer songs through the summer and you could tour your Christmas songs in the winter.
1: God Dave, you're a genius. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's an idea. Yeah, I love Christmas music.
2: Well it's coming on Christmas. There's only four all the trains pull away, we will dream of electric balloons on Christmas Day, meet at the forest where I will be honest and tell you that you are the one.
0: Snowboarding, strawberries in the snow, snow on the pines, Christmas tree and hurricane, Battersea Bardot mentions Christmas, and then one of your favorites, Winter Roads.
2: Looking out, branches stretch across the avenue. 4 p.m., children tramping home from school. It's almost gone Christmas lights are coming on Birds flew off November was the color of my world. Couldn't sleep Couldn't bear to see the dawn drove my car into the rain Had to start it all again But I never thought winter roads would lead me Into such an enchanted place Never thought the light of would fall on my face Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Christmas is something, I guess, you know, in the Western mind, uh, has got, you know, has been set up in so many different ways, and and works in so many different ways. Some of them melancholy, some of them uh, really joyful and 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 resonant. In my writing, Christmas is is never far away. I, I don't know why, mm-hmm. uh, but but the the Christmas album that we did, Sunflower at Christmas. You know, you mentioned snowboarding, but but Winter Roads is, is one I think which is is among my very favourites of of my songs. Tell us why. Well, one of the reasons is is because it was written absolutely from the heart, uh, and it was it was a an, and I'm an not so happy period of my life where i was living on my own in, in glasgow and i lived in the street called camp hill avenue and right across i was in this little mad little rented flat and right across from me were these beautiful glasgow style uh, tenement buildings Stephen uh, and frank at uh, marina suggested we do a christmas album and i had to very quickly write some christmas songs uh and i just sat and I'll never forget it, as long as I live at my little table and imagined, I think this was August or something maybe. And I actually literally imagined the scene that opens the song, you know, mm-hmm. uh, 4, 4 p.m. The Christmas lights are coming on and and kids coming home you know, kicking stones and all that. And it was just about me being uh, in a difficult situation, but actually the, the, the centre of the song, I never I thought Winter Roads could lead me into such an enchanted place. And that sense of, of, of finding happiness again. And, and I think the music, particularly the chorus uh, and the way that it, 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 it develops, is, is probably as close as I've come to describing Euphoria. And, and the, the, the melody of that, and of course, the second statement of the chorus uh, adds to that by changing the structure and, and, and extending the structure, I think, in a really effective way.
0: You also mentioned, uh, as we were communicating to set up the interview, that I can't believe you met Nancy from your 2003 Sky Meadows album, it was autobiographical and links to a lot of your um, hometown songs. Uh, would you like to share a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, that's another one of those titles that was given to me. And uh, Stephen Castle again uh, said that he was in in London at a Burt Bacharach show. Uh, and he was with a guy called Graeme Skinner uh, who who uh, sings in a band called Hipsway. Mm-hmm. And he. Uh, the, the, he said we ended up. We met this really cool uh, friend of his called Nancy Brady, and we 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 went for a drink, and she was just so amazing. And the more she spoke about this, the more he spoke about this person, the more I realised this was somebody that I'd actually gone to school with. So there was this massive kind of distance, not just between. At Falkirk where I live and in, in London, which is five hundred miles away uh, and and all of these kind of people who had dispersed through the world, but suddenly it was coming home and and so the song became a kind of reckoning about that, you know that that feeling that that we uh, we go back. And we, we, we meet people, or we meet people, in my, in this case, second-hand, and it causes you to think about your, your hometown and, and where you were connected. And a lot of the kind of lines in that are, are, are directly uh, from my hometown of Falkirk on streets with painted gables. That was an actual street there.
0: Say that city again.
1: Falkirk. Thank you. Yeah, which is, which is right between Glasgow and Edinburgh. Tons of people know it because they pass through it going from Glasgow to Edinburgh or, or vice versa. And the, the, the town has just had a massive lasting impact on me. I, I, I go back there to visit my folks and it's a wonderful little Scottish uh, town. And it, it just, it's right the way through lots of my songs. So that song, I Can't Believe You Met Nancy Again, was about that uh Sending a message to, to, to somebody who I didn't even really know that well at school, and it was about connecting. She was one of these kind of co- kids at school who were much cooler than, than anybody else, and, and you know, you always feel attracted to those kind of people. I wish were, I wish was as cool as you. And, and all these years later, I wanted to say that. In
0: 2014, uh, Open Up Your Coloring book came out, and you had a song in there that you also mentioned you really love is When Love Was a River.
2: Sometimes the sun can flip and fade Leave you the darkest
0: It's a mid-tempo song. Lots of strings. Great chord changes. You use the circle of fifths and some, with some nice twists. There's a false ending and a restart. Yeah. And it loops two chords over the title at the end. What do you, what do you want to share about that one?
1: Well, that that's about me going to. Uh, that's actually uh, in some ways it's a Falkirk song because of it but it's it's about me leaving at Falkirk and, and going to uh, Glasgow uh, when I went to art school and then later on when I moved to Glasgow uh, permanently uh, and actually. When I was a kid and, 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 you know, all the way through my teen years and through my early uh, 20s, I, I, a lot of stuff really flowed well for me, right? I had lots of good friends. I, I loved life and I got a record deal really early. I got a really good publishing deal. I went to, I got accepted for art school. It, it was just like the world was kind of flowing through me. It was it felt really, really good. And then when you get a couple of knocks uh, and things are not quite sort of, in a line in the way that they were or not quite so easy you reach a point in your life Dave where you have to kind of think about that and, and think about what you do to get back to that and, and, and I lost confidence for a while uh, in my sort of you know sort of mid to late 20s and, and you know when love is a river is, is about saying look stop worrying about this you know, uh, I mean, the song, you know, so, so you took a bus to the city, never knew what the city was till it changed you. And that's positive and negative. Took a room at the charm school, that's the art school, with the dandy fools of the day. Uh, suede so fine, suede so... Seas of stars, they were trailing after you. So so that, that kind of sense when you're young and you've got all that power. And then all of a sudden it's not there and, and, and you're, you're having to find. So it's, it's, a, it's a way of, 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 it's a pep talk to myself. But the real reason I love When Love Is A River is the melody. I, I think it's one of those melodies. That, to, to, you know, quite often at home I just go to the piano and play that song because the, the melody makes me feel emotional. I don't know what it is its just mm-hmm. It was very, very truthful And it was very, very, I mean emotionally truthful And I'm talking about the melody here Not just the, the lyric There was something about that melody That was really primal for me when I wrote it. And, it and it still stands up to this to this day for me
0: A lot of your melodies have that f- effect on me
2: Well I felt great for a day A little bit less so in a week. By the time my greatest fight was made. I was sick and sore, ashamed, felt the sting in my fists and the sting of salted tears. The hero for a day, who milled his hollow cheers, fight fire with flowers, greet your killer with a kiss. When they call you down, to sleep, there's no better day than.
0: Fighting Fire with Flowers oh, yeah. seems to be an anthem to dealing with bullies. Uh, well, <laughs>
1: that's, that's, that's a very positive way to look at it. Uh, Fighting Fire with Flowers was a song that I wrote, which was, I suppose, uh, designed to point out that it's actually pretty futile to be a pacifist. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's kind of sarcastic.
0: You're an unreliable narrator then.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so, and, and actually, again, that's another Falkirk song, so so, so the Café Boulevard that appears in that song was where I spent a lot of my youth, and in and, and Falkirk it was, like, where, you know, uh, people who sold, like, the Socialist Worker uh, paper and, and Spare Rib, which is a well-known feminist magazine, a lot of people uh, would sort of gather there, uh, and it felt, you know, it's one of those times in life where everything felt... Uh, People were thinking about ideas. People were thinking about challenging ideas. But what the song says from start to finish is you get your hope up and then something uh, comes along to dash it, you know? And and at the end of the the song, I'm talking about uh, 58, 92 and all points in between. It's, It's, you know, it's Suez, it's Vietnam, it's the first Gulf War. So it doesn't matter what you do. But at the same time, there is this hope. Fight fire with flares. Stay true to yourself, uh, and maybe you'll you'll get through it. Tell there's something else about that that song, Dave, which is it. It does something I, I I do in quite a lot of songs, which is to use a little instrumental interlude to to flip uh, either the narrative of the song happens in the umbrellas of Shibuya also happens in a song called Eco Schools and there's a little interlude in the middle of it which not only helps you into a key change but also into a, a scene change as if it's a movie. Yes. I, I love I love thinking about songs like small movies. Okay, so the verse three is now the scene. And and again I use that little device of the da
2: da 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 da. And then the conclusion,
1: now they're carving up the land and signing on the line. So it's the it's the kind of moment where the narrator turns to the audience and says, right. The, the you know, the result of all of this a uh, pacifism is that it's still happening. People are still killing themselves.
2: Victory is easy when you're finding fire with love.
1: tell you one thing that I would say uh, is that as, as, a, as a songwriter, uh, I keep going back to this thing about melody and, and I, I spend a lot of time writing lyrics and really think about it a lot but but melody and harmony is is, is the key for me to creating an emotional response in people. Uh, and when I do shows, whether it's a, a solo show, I always pick the songs that have got the strongest melodies, uh, and those are the ones that I think, right, that this is going to touch somebody's heart because the because the melody's got some nice little change in it, or or it, or it's it's doing something interesting outside the chord, and people are going to. And it's not always the lyric; it's the tune, and it's uh, you know. So that's what I try and accomplish in my in my writing, and I'll I'll, I'll carry on doing that to the day I die.
0: What do you have coming up in the very near future?
1: Uh, Well, we're still going to be working this record for a while and we've got some more of our little uh, live session videos that we did this beautiful kind of day uh, down at the Riverside Rooms in in Ayr and we recorded uh, with the the band. You may have seen uh, one or two of those already up on the social media. We're going to put those out. And then later on this year, I'm going to start a a little reissue programme of some of the early Pearl Fisher's music. So 1991 to 93,
0: the early EPs.
1: Yeah, those early EPs, I'm going to, I'm going to compile those first and then I'm going to do uh, probably next year, a reissue of Zaza's Garden.
0: For those who don't know, you do a lot of EPs that become parts of albums, but you have some early EPs that did not appear on albums, correct?
1: That's right. Yeah. So, so the first, I think the first one, two, the first three EPs, uh, which was the sacred EP, uh, um, uh, Heart AP and a thing called Wooden Wire uh, never, never made it on an album and, and they've never been released uh, digitally or certainly uh, they're, they're not currently available digitally so I'm, I want to get all of that in, in order uh, so that people have got a place to, to, to go hear it if they want to. And, and some of those songs I'm, I'm still really proud of.
0: David Scott it's been a pleasure talking with you about your music
1: I'm so disappointed we'll have to end because we could usefully go on for another uh, half an hour You know, so often, and I've been doing lots of interviews, obviously, for this record, uh, you you know, you spend so much time talking about kind of stuff that's not really having to do with the songs.
0: Well, that's why I do this.
1: I've really enjoyed it. Real pleasure for me, and and thanks for taking the time.
0: You've been listening to Songwriter Stories, Episode 9, with David Scott of the Pearl Fishers. There's more to this podcast than just the interview. For bonus content, visit songwriterstories.com and click on the Writer's Room link for this episode. If you like the podcast, consider giving us a review at Apple Podcasts. That's all for now. I'm Dave Caruso, and I'll see you next time.